Now, on this Invest Talk podcast, Justin Klein listens to your questions. What does it mean when a company's share price falls to cheap prices and executive insiders don't buy more? My question is, how much of your portfolio should you put into like ETFs and mutual funds? I had a question about Dutch Bros. It's going to be a new IPO. And provides unbiased answers. I think the bet on the raw materials that go into electric cars are going to be far better than the electric car producers. Invest Talk across America and around the world. Your participation makes it unique. 888-99-CHART. This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Monday, April 18th, 2022 edition of Invest Talk. And I am Justin Klein. I am back. Last week I was on vacation in Hawaii, but I'm excited to be here back with you guys and really just trying to give you unbiased answers to your finance and investment questions. Now, I know. This is a challenging time, a confusing time. A lot of people try to use analogies of the last recession. They feel like that's how you look at markets and asset classes, etc. But this is a new era, a new cycle. And with new cycles comes different types of risk, different types of opportunity, often ones that weren't there the last cycle. And today we're going to talk a bit about that. We're going to talk about real estate. It's our main focus point today. And there are some great lessons to be learned on how this time differs compared to last and why it's a good learning lesson for how to think about different cycles, which I'm going to get to here in a little bit. But my goal is to help you understand this current market environment and handle the volatility in a constructive way, not in an emotional way, in a way that will drive smart investment decisions. And today's investment situation is very different than what we've experienced over the past several decades. Higher inflation and inflation coming from a different place than we saw in the 70s. So there are differences there as well. But at the end of the day, the root of your decision-making will rest on your understanding of what is in front of you. And it's helpful to look at analogies of the past, but it's even more helpful to look at the data on the ground. So, You need to shift your frame of mind to a post-COVID world. Looks very different. And that's what I'm here to help distill is the right data, the right perspective, the right information for you to 
build a comfortable financial future. On this podcast, I'm going to operate with my mission statement, which is always independent thinking and shared success. So it's my assurance to you that no matter what I'm speaking about, I'm here to present it all without bias. So I encourage you to reach out with your finance and investment questions. And when you do that, you get to shape this show to your liking. So you can call and interact with me right now during our live stream program from 4 to 5 Pacific time. Or you can leave a question on our anytime voice bank. Either way, the number never changes. It's 888-99-CHART. So let's get right to our first listener question now. Hello, Steve or Justin. This is Zach from Atlanta. I know you guys have talked about 14net a couple of months back. Ticker symbols F-T-N-T. Fortinet, I believe. Just wanted for a buy point. If you guys are still interested in that company, as well as Southern Copper. I know that's one of you guys' favorite copper stocks. Just a buy point on both of those. Thank you for your time. All right. Well, Southern Copper has had a bit of a pullback. There's going to be some major uh, support right around $66, $67. So that's probably where I would be excited to, to pick it up. Uh, Fortinet, you know, this is a growth stock and it has definitely not, it definitely outperformed most of the growth sectors over the past year or so, but it's just kind of chopping sideways and you have growth slowing, earnings growth back, uh, down into the mid teens, whereas late 2020, early two, 2021, earnings growth was 35%. Analysts are downgrading earnings ex- expectations for this year and next year. And so I don't love the valuation. I don't love the technicals. So I think there's some room to run on the downside. Now, the technicals aren't horrible. I will say that. They're kind of neutral. But none of it gets me excited. You know, it's certainly in the large cap growth space. And, you know, this needs to get down into a reasonable valuation. Let me give you what that would be. Right now, it's currently trading enterprise value to EBITDA about 71 times, 71. That's extremely, extremely high. I would need this down in the 30s, probably, so 50% from here for me to you know really get excited about it. So those are my levels on Fortinet and Fortinet, 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 FTNT is the symbol, and Southern Copper. Now, my focus point today is based on the story behind this headline. The red-hot U.S. housing market is beginning to hit levels not seen since the last housing bubble. So we're going to look at what brokerage platform Redford, Redfin is say, seeing slightly more home listings, along with price cuts, fewer bookings for home showings, etc. So the housing market certainly is cooling, but does that mean it has to crash? A lot of people are calling for that. A lot of people are, you know, they have PTSD from the last cycle. But I'm going to talk about why this cycle is is definitely different. So that's, uh, that's our main focus point today. But I also want to discuss consumer spending, what that number looked like last week, and and really uh, what it means for the, the economy as a whole. Also, Russian oil, Russian oil production is set to decline. You would think, hey, they want to pump and they want to get it out there and sell it to as many people as possible, many countries as possible. Well, they're having some difficulties with that, and that could cause long-term supply destruction as well. Not just, not just uh, because of lack of buyers of Russian oil, but simply lower production 
in Russia because of backups in the system, et cetera. So we're going to look at that. And then lastly, I want to touch on T, uh, sorry, I bonds. We had callers a couple weeks ago saying I didn't like I bonds. I, I never said I didn't, uh, but it is important uh, to look at the these because they are good hedges against inflation, decent hedges against inflation, but they're also have their pros and cons, just like anything. So we're going to look at that if we have time. Let's look at the market today. Uh, we had the 10-year up about three basis points to the highest level since pre-pandemic, to 2.86 on the 10-year. We had the dollar that was up uh, a bit. Dollar continues to be strong. You know, there's a, there's a lack of dollars in the system. The Fed is uh, slowly reducing uh, the, planning to reduce their balance sheet, raise rates, all this is typically good for the dollar. Uh, and that's what you're seeing now. Uh, what's interesting is commodities continue to grind higher in the face of uh, dollar strength. And that just shows you the structural supply problems that are happening within the commodity uh, space overall and, and driving prices up, even though the dollar is in decline. So you had the XLE that was up uh, about one and a quarter percent today. You certainly had growth underperforming uh, and just the downtrend of growth versus value uh, continues. You had, let's take a look at transportation that was uh, down about 1% today. You're seeing that that weakness there. In more of the cyclical, more of the cyclical value side of the market, that tends to be weaker than the non-cyclical value side of the market. You always have to look at different kind of sub-segments of the market, value versus growth, et cetera. And you're seeing the market pricing in a much higher chance, continuing higher chance of a recession, probably sometime next year. But uh, those trends uh, do continue in the market right now. You have gold up nicely today. Uh, not a huge move, definitely uh, faded for most of the day, but it was uh, also stronger. So that was the the market today. Good start to the week overall, kind of flat to down uh, a bit, especially in the growth side of the market. But Continue to grind higher in the commodities. Now we have good news for Invest Talk listeners that enjoy hearing unbiased answers to caller questions at a faster pace. We have just posted an all new April Rapid Fire Hour with 30 caller questions. It's available now as a free podcast download. Please tell your friends about the Invest Talk Rapid Fire Hour podcast. Will from San Diego, hang on, you will be next. And now, Invest Talk, Invest Talk phone lines are open. So give me a call at 888 99Chart. market is constantly changing and you've got to be ready to react. You'll have questions. Steve and Justin have answers. The Invest Talk Anytime listener line never closes. 888-99-CHART. Go talk to Will in San Diego looking at QYLD, which is the Global X NASDAQ 100 covered call ETF. You own it or looking to buy it? I'm uh, considering it, and I don't fully understand covered calls. That's why I'm going this route rather than trying to do it on my own. Got it. Okay. Well, uh, we like covered calls. Uh, we, we do run a covered call strategy called uh, Equity Income Plus and, and done very, very well. Uh, and basically, a covered call is, let's say you buy uh, a stock 
it's usually represents 100 shares, one one call option. You buy the underlying stock, 100 shares at say 50, and then you would write some sort of a premium, um, typically above that price, 55 strike. Uh-huh. Where uh, if it gets above that, those speculators are going to start profiting above 55. Uh, below that, you you know you're you're uh, you're the hedging yourself on the downside, or you're boosting your overall yield. So what it does is it kind of does cap your upside often, but it can hedge you a bit on the downside. So that's what a covered call strategy uh, typically does. And over time, if you do it right uh, and you execute it well, it does give a nice boost to overall returns. But uh, you kind of have to know what you're doing. Now, this particular ETF is just running cover calls on the queues. And you can right. see here, whereas the queues are down about 8% on the year, this is only down about 4%. So those covered calls have hedged you a bit, hedged the, the fund a bit on the downside. Okay. The problem with this is you're still down 4%. You're still investing yeah. in the queues overall, which not a great place to be. You're investing in tech, you're investing in growth. Not a great place to be. Okay. Whereas if you look at like the S&P 500 value ETF, SPYV, that's roughly flat on the year. Okay. Mm -hmm. So yes, it's better than owning the queues, which are down eight, but you know, do you really want to be the underlying still matters? So you want to be writing cover calls on the underlying of good solid companies good solid equities that work in this environment you still want to you still want to participate in the upside of those positions you don't want them to go down because you're not hedged completely you're just hedged a bit um right. and so that's what i would I, I would be looking for i would not be owning uh s uh, uh qyld because i don't want to be exposed to uh the nasdaq 100 and, and tech stocks make sense so you think styd is a better option yeah, I mean, if I'm going to buy one or the other, SPYV isn't a cover call strategy. I'm just using it as an example of, hey, oh. hey, the Qs are growth. If you're owning Qs, you're owning the growth side of the market. And yeah. that's not the side of the market you want to be owning, clearly. The value side right. is. And the value side, without the covered call, uh, cover calls, is flat on the year. And the Qs, with the covered calls, is down 4% on the year. Right. And so... When you're looking at cover calls, it's not just about writing cover calls and getting uh, high, what are called implied volatility premiums, et cetera. It's about owning good, a good quality portfolio underneath. And then you can overlay a cover call strategy, and that's what we do for our clients. But uh, you know, if you're going to buy that in ETF form, make sure the underlying is value-leaning, not growth-leaning. Thanks for the call. Now we're moving into a break, but... I'm not going anywhere. My phone lines are open and your finance and investment questions are welcome right here on InvestTalk at 888-99-CHART. Each day, InvestTalk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for Invest Talk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments. Now, my focus point today is based on the story behind this headline. The red hot U.S. housing market is beginning to hit levels not seen since the last housing bubble. 
And we're going to look at some of that data here. Now, every major real estate firm with a forecast predicts that home prices will go higher over the coming year. But a lot of those are a bit biased and they extrapolate a lot of things. And we're very new to this environment of north of four and a half percent mortgage rates, rates much higher than even pre-pandemic levels. Now, what's interesting here is Black Knight, it's a mortgage technology and data provider. They showed on their analysis that the typical American household would now have to spend 31% of their monthly income to make a mortgage payment on the average price U.S. home. That's up from 29% one week, early, one week before and up from 24% in December. Over the last 10 years, 12 years or so, it's averaged about 20%. So that's about a 50% higher than the average over the past decade or so. And it hasn't hit this level since September of 2007. Now, a lot of people are going to say, well, that was the top of the last housing bubble. And that's certainly true. But I don't like to say this, but this time is definitely different in a lot of ways. Now, the first are the, the cost to carry a mortgage. Uh, and this has come down dramatically. A lot of people are refinanced at two and a half, two and three quarters, three percent in that range. And so their cost to carry the mortgage is fixed. It's not variable like it was for a lot of people in, you know, 05, 06, 07. And banks have changed their lending standards dramatically, which means they're no longer letting people you know, do interest-only loans with 2 or 3% down. It's, those are rarities as opposed to 05, 06, 07. That was very, very common. And a lot of people have a lot more equity, more skin in the game. When you put 20% down, housing prices say they drop 5%. Well, you're not going to sell your house just because of that. You're not going to mail your keys back to the lender like a lot of people did. And that was the huge catalyst before was leverage. Too many people were highly levered to housing prices. And so when housing prices took a 5 10% dip and you only put 3% down and maybe housing prices started to go even more, 15 20%. Well, you have no equity. You have negative equity. So a lot of people started to mail their keys, you know, they call it jingle mail, back to the lender. And while the Federal, the Federal Reserve Bank of Dallas recently published a report, they found that recent home price appreciation has become unhinged from economic fundamentals. And that's certainly true. So I'm not saying that the housing market isn't going to cool, or that it doesn't need to cool. What I'm saying is to, to think we're going to go into the same type of economic spiral simply because of housing isn't supported by the data, the situation on the ground it makes for good fear mongering. 
But is that reality? No, it isn't. Household balance sheets are healthier. More homeowners have paid off their mortgage altogether. And because of 2010 Dodd-Frank Act, lending standards are a lot better. Now, this will take steam out of the, of the housing market. Inventories are going to rise, and that's probably a good thing. Like I said before, according to Redfin, spiking mortgage rates are already softening the housing market a bit. More price cuts, fewer bookings, etc. But maybe the housing prices drop 5, 8, 10%, maybe. But that doesn't create a financial crisis because of the amount of equity that's out there in the system. Let's go to Thomas in Santa Cruz looking at IIPR. How's it going, Justin? Going well. Hi, I'm calling about IIPR. I'd just like to say thank you. It's always a pleasure listening to you guys. I've been listening for a couple of years now. Um, I wrote this stock up, uh, par your guys' um, words about it, a couple of years ago, and I actually sold off a good portion of it because it became a good chunk of my portfolio. And just looking through my portfolio right now, I see that it's recently started to go back down. We're talking housing, not that this is related to that, but it is real estate. So I would just like mm -hmm. to hear um, your two cents on it, um, as well as uh, holding this for longer term, uh, where you'd see uh, picking more of it up if it continued to go down. Yeah, we uh, we like IAPR. We've uh, we've owned it for a while, and uh, the, the decline recently has a lot to do with the potential decriminalization of cannabis uh, in Congress. Now, I don't think Congress has the votes for it uh, so far, but that could change. Um, Republicans have shown more willingness to get on board with something like that, and the big. I think worry within the industry is that if that happens, that their kind of edge um, in supplying uh, properties for the cannabis space, uh, cannabis grows, uh, will become less in demand, less needed. Uh, and I don't think that's necessarily true because I think uh, there's still going to be a lot of local regulation and that's going to be important uh, to, to consider. Um, so. Uh, I, I think it's uh, it's fine longer term. About 135, though, is major, major support. Thanks for the call. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the Internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So. Stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats 
with HackerOne's Attack Resistance Platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com. HackerOne.com. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. You are listening to Invest Talk. Justin Klein is here. And if you've been watching the news and market volatility, you're going to have finance and investment questions. The phone lines are open, and Justin is taking your calls live. Invest Talk, 888 99 Chart. Hi, um, Emilio from Los Gatos. AT&T just spinned off part of their company, W. Warner Brothers Discover, and. Um, like to get his read on uh, what he thinks that means. So just trying to get rid of some of the debt AT&T accumulated. Thank you very much. Well, that's uh, that's part of it. So AT&T bought Warner Brothers, I don't know, some years back and took on a lot of debt to do so. And there were a lot of synergies. That's what they were hoping that their uh, media assets would able to would be able to drive uh, better performance out of their telecommunication systems and, and, and businesses from wireless to broadband, etc. And it didn't really work that well. Uh, it was fine. It wasn't a disaster, but it, it was just, uh, I think they were taking their eye off the ball. Uh, and media is notoriously difficult and kind of ebbs and flows based on the type of content that you can create on HBO, for example. And while HBO's history is very good, uh, once again, it still ebbs and flows, whereas at and it's more about more consistency of revenue of the business and kind of slow growth. And this, I think the spinoff was smart. Uh, Streamlines their AT&T business. Warner Brothers and Discovery are better matches to put their media together and really drive uh, into a new era of uh, people unplugging their cable and and the era of streaming. And I think yeah, AT&T did have a lot of debt, and this helped them kind of get out of some of that. Some of it went on AT&T. Uh, so they used some of this cash in order to uh, pay off uh, some debt. So overall, I think it's both good. I think it's a win-win for both sides. I think it was a weird merger, um, didn't go ideal, and uh, the future is brighter for both of them as uh, they are now separate entities. And uh, they spun off. Uh, a Warner is going to be a more aggressive investment, whereas AT and T, although the dividend will be a bit lower, uh, will be more of a conservative dividend type of uh, play. Now, I'd like to get to an iTunes question. And Gene asked, I'd like to get your take on tech, research, ticker tech, T-E-C-K. I own a small position, but I'm looking to add to it. 
What would you consider a good price uh, target? Please give your long-term outlook of the company and plan to hold it for at least five years. Well, the, we do own this for clients, and this is Tech Resources. They are a Canadian miner of coal, copper, zinc, gold, lead uh, in Canada, here, the, here in the U.S., Chile, Peru, etc. And their business is, is doing very, very well. Well-diversified miner, uh, good cash flows, not a giant dividend, 0.9%, but you know, in this environment, you're more worried about owning real assets, hard assets that can produce today and are going to be in high demand. And so I I still like tech long term. I think it's a sixty-seven dollars stock. Supposed to make seven dollars and fifty-five cents this year. Should at least have a ten multiple on that with good revenue growth. So uh, I'm going to give tech uh, a, a thumbs up. Now, it is a bit overbought here. I will say that in the near term. But on pullbacks, I still think it is a uh, good buy. Uh, up in, you know, anything in the high 30s would be a great pickup for tech. Now, Luke NYC 77 says, I've been holding a position in big for the past few months. I'm down about 10%. It's 4% of my portfolio. Looking at this company and its chart, what price would you would be good to get out or do you feel it's worth it to be more patient to hold? I think it's uh, more patient to hold. We've been picking up, uh, this is big lots, BIG for uh, a little while now. We are down as well, um, but we see strong cash flow generation, although their, uh, their, their earnings growth has certainly slowed. So it's to make $5.47 next year versus $5.33 last year. So, you know, kind of flat growth, but trading at six, seven times uh, for looking earnings. Uh, it's pretty cheap and they're buying back stock and their cash flow is, is still very, very strong. So, and, and the chart is starting to firm up here. Uh, the MACD is turned. Uh, it's, it's just looking a lot, lot better technically over the past couple of months. And a lot of that's due, like I said, just buying back shares, producing good cash flow. Uh, let's see, with dividend 3.3%, so solid dividend. Um, you know, it's definitely a business that has been up and down, but, uh, as more and more people in the lower end of the income spectrum, get better pay raises, get better, um, uh, government uh, stimulus packages, et cetera, uh, big lots definitely benefits. So, uh, we like big and I would hold it, I would hold it. Thanks for the call. That was B I G big lots, 88.99 chart, 88.992.4278. We have about 15 minutes left in the show. So if you're going to call, you want to do that right now. Now let's look at retail sales. That was a report last week for the month of March. And for the third straight month, consumers spend more. Retail and restaurant spending rose 0.5% in March compared to the previous month, February, which was a revised increase of 0.8%. So a bit deceleration there. But a lot of this had to do with gasoline prices. Remember, these figures are nominal. They are not adjusted for inflation. So excluding gasoline sales, retail sales actually fell 0.3%. Auto sales overall, they fell 1.9%. That was a big part of the decline. And online retailers, they dropped 6.4% from the February figure. So to show this, the economy is reopening. People are getting out, they're spending. Uh, in physical stores versus shopping online. And inflation drove 
overall spending higher. But if you adjust it for inflation, it actually fell 0.7%. And you're starting to see credit card balances increase. And what that means is all that stimulus package money that uh, people had, all the rent and mortgage moratorium, et cetera, that's been wearing off. And people are returning to adding more debt to their, their balance sheet. Now, the balance sheet is, like I said, still a lot stronger than it was pre-pandemic. But you're seeing that's where the consumers are, are, are coming from, uh, where their spending is coming from, is higher earnings, but also taking on a bit more debt. Now, spending rose for things like appliances, electronics, groceries, dining out, clothing, but only three outpaced inflation, sporting goods, electronics, and general merchandise. So that was, uh, that was interesting. And gasoline, while gasoline spending was up nine point, what was that? Nine points, sorry, 8.9%. That was not as high as overall, overall gasoline prices went up. They went up 18.3% month over month. And so the spending on it was half that. So it showed was that those higher prices certainly ate into demand. There's the demand response there. And that was interesting as well. Now, there's consumers are shifting away from physical goods and spending more on services. We're seeing that. Uh, but consumer staples, food, gasoline, utilities, those continue to go up. And airlines are starting to show demand for leisure travel, continuing to be strong. Local economies, dependent on tourism, they did the best. Um, so that was that was definitely a, a bright spot. And consumers expect more inflation, even though it's probably going to moderate later in the year. But that was uh, that was interesting. And some retailers are saying they're still struggling to keep up with the demand. So supply chain issues are still there, but they are abating just a bit. So that was a brief overview of consumer spending. Now let's grab another Invest Talk Voice Bank question. This one came in earlier from Mexico. Yes, this is Troy in New Mexico. I'm 70 year old, retired, have about 25 to 30% in cash and bonds. And considering the current state in the economy and the falling value of bonds, is it worth considering getting out of bonds and going into value stocks, more into value stocks? Thanks for all you do. Bye-bye. Well, the risk versus reward definitely is better. I will say that. But shifting out of bonds and into any type of equities is going to be higher risk. I don't care if you go from junk bonds to blue chip stocks. It's still higher risk. Equity is lower on the capital structure. It's the prospects of any equity is going to be more tied to the economy than a bond is. And so long-term, is it a better idea? Sure. But it sounded like, I think you said you're 70, uh, you know, uh, it's an age where bonds are probably better. Now I would ask a few questions, you know, what's your risk tolerance level? What's the time horizon for this money? Is it money that you're going to be using in the near term? three to five years, or is it earmarked for 
much later in life or maybe next of kin. And then, then that's when I would say, you know, maybe equities for a part of it would make more sense. But you have to assess all of those things. You always have to balance the pros and cons. And does that fit your goal? This is something that most people overlook is they don't align their strategy with their goals. They align their strategy with what they think about the market, what they think is the best investment, more emotional things, as opposed to, hey, what's this money earmarked for? And have I reached my goals? Sometimes you have enough money to live your lifestyle. And while it may not be the best long-term risk versus reward, being more conservative, being in bonds can still make sense because it achieves your goals and taking more risk may jeopardize those goals. So all those things come into play. So if you want to talk about it more, I would uh, encourage you to reach out to us via investtalk.com and we can schedule a call to discuss in more details. Now, speaking of that, as we move right through this second quarter, I want to make you aware of some of the benefits of working with myself and Steve Peasley at our company, KPP Financial, based in Irvine, California, where we practice parallel investing and we give unbiased guidance both on and off air. So if you want to take advantage of our free portfolio view assessment via telephone or go-to meeting, just send us a message through investtalk.com or call our KPP Financial Office at 800-557-5461. No obligations. We just love to help you in any way. Now, this is Invest Talk. Steve and I thank you for downloading our podcast and telling your friends about it as well. We'll play another caller question next, so hang on. The Invest Talk Voice Bank never closes. I have a question for you about Amazon. So your questions keep coming. Question about PE ratios. And that's okay because Steve Peasley and Justin Klein specialize in unbiased guidance. If I'm looking at a dividend company, I'm looking for consistency of earnings and dividends. Your standard daily chart typically goes back one year. Steve and Justin are fearless. So don't forget to call Invest Talk. 888-99-CHART. Hi Stephen Justin, what do you think of Hi Stephen Justin, what do you think of Cincinnati Financial Corporation? C for China, I for India, N for Norway, F for France. Do you think it's a good long-term hold? Thank you. Bye. All right, looking at Cincinnati Financial and this is an insurance company, property and casualty insurance. And let's see. It offers leasing and financing services. Hmm. Let me take a look at some long-term profitability here. Good consistent cash flow that's growing. Good return equity that's also growing. Technically, it looks very strong. Um, so I'm going to give this overall a, a thumbs up. Now it's trading on bit of a, a premium to the market, 22 times forward earnings, but its growth is strong. It's consistent. I like that. I like businesses that 
generally have an upward slope to their earnings and that that is consistently there, not just for a year or two and then falls back down to earth. It's been kind of marching higher for the past decade. And I like that 2% dividend. So I'm going to give Cincinnati financial a thumbs up. Now let's go back to iTunes and Dylan 22 says, currently I'm looking at generic G N R C. I'm looking for a long-term investment. I believe people will continue to buy home generators to help fortify their homes. I currently do not own, but I've been watching the stock over the last six months and would like your opinion. Well, this is a company, as uh, the question insinuated, that they sell standby power generators for residential, oil and gas, industrial markets, etc. And certainly, uh, you go through a pandemic, <laughs> think people people want to stock up on you know, just-in-case type of items, and generators are definitely those. The problem with this is it is now coming back down to earth, probably going to re- revert back to uh, pre-pandemic levels uh, of earnings around five dollars per share and at that level it's too expensive so uh, the technicals are poor so i would be patient very patient on this until earnings start to level out now this is invest talk i'm justin klein and we have one goal here is to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom and our work continues after this break so get your questions in now at 888 chart Your objective is to work hard, plan well, and achieve financial freedom, right? You're in luck, because Justin Klein is here now, ready to take your finance and investment questions. Call 888-99-CHART. Hello, calling to see if you would be a buyer for Ben Franklin Resources. Ticker symbol B-E-N. Pays a yield of about 4.43. Is this something to buy? Is it a safe investment, do you think? Or what would be a good entry point? And could this be one of your major holdings? Thank you, and I love your show. All right, this is Franklin Resources, and this is a provider of, it's basically a mutual fund family, the Franklin Templeton, I think Franklin Templeton, uh, uh, fun family. They have about $1.5 trillion in in managed assets. 35% of that is equity. 40% is fixed income. 10% is balanced, you know, blended uh, type of uh, funds. And they have money market funds, etc. So one of the issues here is 40% plus, if you add the balance, so probably 45-ish percent of their holdings are going to be bonds. And if bond prices are going down, that means the value of the funds are going down. It means the percent that they're earning on those those funds in total are going down. And that's the issue here. And then you add on top of that, you have the indexing craze and the fact that active managers uh, during the indexing craze haven't done as well. Uh, that's starting to change a bit, but still, a lot of fund families are 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 not outperforming the indexes. Uh, only really value focused ones, and and that's not clearly all of uh, Franklin Templeton's funds. So that's your issue here: is 
that you're seeing AUM decline. In fact, earnings are expected to be down 3% this year, 1% next year. Now, what I will say is this is pretty cheap. Enterprise value to EBITDA only about five and a half times. That's cheap. Now, it's not as cheap as it's been over the past few years. Been closer to four times, uh, many times. So could there be more downside? Sure. Uh, the technicals are definitely not that strong. But uh, somewhere around $20 per share, that would be where I would be interested in picking this up. Right now it's about 25 25 Okay. So the good thing is they're buying back shares. It's very cheap. But, you know, it's, it's technicals are poor. So I would be patient on it. Uh, but around 20, it does get cheap enough to be like, yeah, this is, this is just so cheap that you got to buy it based on the cash flow, based on that nice dividend of four and a half percent. It goes down to 20, it's north of five. Uh, so at that level, I like it, but not yet. Now, lastly, let me close with oil and Russia's oil. And what's interesting here is that oil is backing up through Russia's energy supply chain, mainly refineries. And these refineries are trimming their output because they can't find as many people or as many countries to, to buy it. Storage space is running low in the pipelines in their tanks, etc. And they're going to, they're already starting to dial down production. And this is going to be an issue for them because this happened during uh, the fall of the Soviet Union. They had a big, big drop in overall production. From 1987 to 1996, output almost halved because they just didn't have the infrastructure Institutions kind of fell apart. Now, under uh, Mikhail, was it Kord, Kordovsky, I believe it's how you say it, uh, of Yukos and Roman Abranovich of Sibneft, they brought Western style production and management techniques, and that reignited growth in the sector. But it took, it took a lot of our technology here in, in, in the West to do this. And now that we're cutting off Companies like Schlumberger and Halliburton, they've left Russia. You have a lot of the refineries that are uh, parts that are U.S. made. It's going to be very difficult then for them to maintain the level of production and even export what they can. And then you have China, their biggest buyer of oil. They're in lockdown, so the demand for oil is coming down. And so this backup in the system is going to reverberate not just within Russia and the companies it's, uh, the countries it sells to, but around the world. So another reason why uh, Russian oil is coming off market, it's not just because uh, of sanctions. So interesting uh, tidbit there. Now I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening. And we encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads and be sure to and, oh, sorry, we do track our download numbers and we have crossed the 40 million mark thanks to you. So get your Invest Talk podcast anytime at iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. Be sure to rate and review on iTunes. And if you leave a question with your rating, we will prioritize your answer. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night.
Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. Invest Talk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, Call 1-800-557-5461.